Hi, I'm Sunny Dean. And I'm Scott Drakeford. And this is the Publishing Radio Podcast. In 2022, we both launched debut novels in the same genre with the same publisher in the same year. But despite having very similar starts, our books and subsequently each of our careers went in very different directions. That pattern repeats itself throughout the industry over and over. Why do some books succeed while others seem to be dead on arrival? In this podcast, we aim to answer those questions and many more, along with how to build and maintain an author career. Everyone signing a contract deserves to know what they're really signing up for. In an industry that loves its secrets, we'll be sharing real details from real people. We'll cover the gamut of life as a big five published author, from agents to publishing contracts, finances, and more. We're getting to some of the the questions because we've had a bunch of questions pile up and I thought we'd deal with basically the more personal questions because that's those aren't a good fit for episodes with guests. Uh, And one of them was it was more of a comment than a question, shall we say. Um, Someone saying that basically that, you know, they would love to hear some of the positive parts of publishing, like meeting, connecting with your readers, if there are any. and that there's a lot of joy. It'd be nice to have a balance because it's starting to feel like if you're not making high royalties or a huge advance, there's no hope. Um, <laughs> I mean, I mean ho- ho- yeah. Hope for Go what? On. Like, no, I just, I would, I think we're going to exactly. say the same thing, which is that depends what you're hoping for. If you want to hit the New York Times bestseller list and make a shitload of money, but you got a small advance from a small press, then yeah, there's no hope. You, that's not going to happen. It, like, unless you're the next Fifty Shades of Grey, but if that's what you're banking on, go buy a lottery ticket. But if you're, hope, if you're talking about hope in the context of can you have a good publishing experience regardless of your advance size of publisher, then yeah, people do. Yep, and, and I mean, if, if your expectations are low, you're going to yeah. have a better time, right? And understanding what you're getting into when you sign the contract makes a difference so if you're one of those people that writes because they love to write and you're just gonna write things the you know the same way no matter whether they sell one copy or a million then yeah great submit it and if it gets published who gives a shit whether it sells if you're independently wealthy and Mm. you don't care about a paycheck then great i guess publishing's for you but if you have aspirations to make money in this business you're probably gonna have a bad time at one point or another right because this business is run in such a way as to keep publishers in power always 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 there is no author with perhaps the exception of you know a bare handful like the sandersons and the grrms of the world there is uh, a there is no author that a publisher can't survive without right and they will tank you if they have to and they will cut you off if they have to and you know you get a three book deal and that's pretty common after that zero things are guaranteed whether you sell or you don't and your performance of your contract that determines your next contract size is mostly out of your hands so yes there are good things the good things I've taken out of publishing, and we mentioned this in the first episode, right, is basically the friends I've met. So Sun Yi, meeting her has been a huge deal for me in writing and just my personal life, right? Yeah, no, for real. Okay. Um, and the and the you know the friends we've made in our 
little Discord group and the friends I've made outside of that, even um, other writers, some reviewers, people I've connected with that I just wouldn't have been able to connect with if I hadn't put time and effort into my own writing and into the writing eco sphere, right? Um, so there, there are good things, and I've, uh, I've made, I think, I, I think Tours paid me like sixteen grand of my thirty grand to date. So if I didn't have any aspirations and I kept my day job and I just wanted to do this as my hobby on the side anyway, regardless, then yeah, that'd be great. That'd be an extra sixteen grand in my pocket. But coming from where I come from, and this is where maybe I'll 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 make it awkward on the other side. You know, I <laughs> I was making an order of magnitude more than my entire contract amount in a single year in my career. Yeah. Right? And did I leave that career just to write? No. But was it part of it and did I put unfounded hope in publishing at least eventually being able to replace some portion of that uh, and some meaningful portion of that yes I did and I, I hoped to be uh, you know a big name in the industry mostly because well one the validation feels great that you know you're good enough at something that people want to consume it but two because I want to, I want to make a living, you know, like that's not a weird thing for people yeah. in any industry to want to not only make a living, but make as much money as possible. And this industry is so tightly controlled by old school companies that do not really give a shit about whether you can make a living at writing. Yeah. And that, that also answers part of the question of, do you have goals or aspirations, which is one of the ones at the bottom. I want it all, but go ahead, Sunny. I want to hear yours. <laughs> no, that I, I mean, my answer is the same as, as yours. Like my, my aspirations are that I want everything I can get. I want everything the world doesn't owe me and I won't cry if I don't get it, but that's what I want. And it, you know, it was a different experience. My experience felt like, you know, I didn't have a job to give up because I was unemployed. I didn't have a future to weigh because there wasn't one. Um, so writing filled that vacuum that was already there and publishing, you know, it was a straightforward thing for me. So that, that was a huge positive. Yeah. Um, and if it doesn't pan out, it's like, well, the worst that happens now is like the next book tanks. I never get any other deal. Nothing ever works out. But it's given me enough that it's like, it's dug us out of poverty. It's given me a house, a car, driving lessons, a new laptop. Fine. I'll, you know, I'll walk away from yeah. that. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I guess linked to that, I was going to ask this person's follow-up question, which, well, no, well, this is actually my question, which is, what was your best moment in your debut year, if there were any? You go first. <laughs> <laughs> okay, my answer is not going to be what you expect. There are probably two, I guess. The, my, the, the first really standout moment, I think, of debut year for me was when R.J. Barker complimented my partner's enormous vegetable online. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> now, listen, I'll, I'll, I'm going to put this in the show notes now. We, we grew this carrot in the garden, and it was literally the size of my calf, like from knee to ankle, right? 
and I put it on Twitter and I think he just commented underneath and he was like, that's a serious vegetable, Sonia. And I was like, yes. But it's because, right, so the, right, why is he, you know, why is he commenting on it? Well, he's following me on Twitter. Why is RJ Barker following me on Twitter? Because, because a thousand years ago he had the same acquiring editor as me and Lindsay picked him up when he was at Orbit and he happens to live in the same city as me, which is wild, and we're randomly in the same writer group that we've never met like there in person and it was just it was this moment that crystallized it was like I'm gonna I, I'm online and I'm like talking to author people like I'm an author person and I'm gonna have author friends now and have like an author life and that's fucking cool and like 95% of my friends are authors and that's fucking cool and I think it was just that moment it's like yeah I can just like talk to authors who I used to be scared of I would have been scared of talking to you like five years ago if you'd been published <laughs> and it, no, it is I like you it. forget yeah, about it you know yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm reminded of it periodically when I when I meet people sometimes like oh my god you wrote a book it's like yeah me and like everyone doing NaNoWriMo but you know <laughs> um, so it was just like that moment it was like yes I, I can I can speak to other authors like it's no big deal and we can all joke about my partner's enormous vegetable on Twitter so <laughs> uh, I guess the other moment was when the book reviewer who I'd followed for years and years in my 20s who wrote amazing thousands of words reviews that inspired me to write because I wanted to write a book so good that someone would, would, would write a 2,000 word review about it um I sent him a copy of my book and he agreed to review it and and just like I don't even know maybe he felt pressured to be nice about it or whatever but he read it and that was cool and he posted about it and that was cool and it felt like my life had come full circle so there you go <laughs> those are my positive moments from from debut year because all the other stuff like no shade on people hitting bestseller lists and stuff I didn't do that and I don't consider those my achievements I did the same thing we all do which is I wrote the book I handed it in the fact that it sold well had nothing to do with me in the same way that if it sold badly, that would nothing to do with me. I, I get what you mean. I get what you mean. Yeah. And, and I, yeah, I, I totally get that. Cause, but the best, the best things about uh, debut year for me were undoubtedly uh, connecting with you and then with um, Richard and Clay and the, the rest of our awesome mm. group. You know, I go back to, and, and I'll give an example of why. So beyond just having friends who understand what you're going through, which is a big deal in this industry because it is a very lonely pursuit, right? And the information on the industry and what's normal, what's not, what can be done, what helps, et cetera. Like, mm -hmm. I, I felt like I was going insane before, before I found you. Because <laughs> um, nobody else, even in private most of the time, they won't talk about the bad stuff, right? Even when I saw bad stuff happening yeah. to people, they didn't want to talk about it because yeah. nobody wants to be seen as the whiner. Nobody wants to piss off the people who are cutting checks, et cetera. But I mean, I, I've never had, uh, and maybe this is my own fault, but I've never had a group of, you know, uh, writers who are so engaged with helping each other. And two of our, our friends, uh, Wayne and Shay, uh, recently beta read for me on book two of the Age of Iron series and that experience was awesome and and having you know I, I posted a, a, a chapter of another book I'm, I'm working on in our group and you and Richard and, and several JT and others uh, chimed in with like oh I think this would work better here oh this would work better here and 
just with you know getting critiques just on one little scene one little uh tiny scene really that i i had written was pretty illustrative of you know why that group has been such a, a big deal to me and and why i appreciate it so much because that's i mean i i definitely don't take that for granted that's that's something that's really hard to find um and at risk of sounding like a total dick finding people at the same you know point or ish uh, of the journey in publishing yeah. as you and who have put as much time and effort and uh stress <laughs> into <Yeah. laughs> getting eh, into getting better at writing itself and getting better at writing good books it's a big deal so that was a huge has been and still is a huge high point i'd say probably getting a, a review back from uh beth tabler tabler i'm not actually i can't remember how you say her last I name say I'm, so, yeah, I'm so sorry beth beth tabler tabler <laughs> uh, whatever your last name is you're freaking awesome i've i've gotten a lot of very uh kind reviews from from different reviewers but she was the first one who like picked it up right around launch and was like holy shit this is awesome scott thanks for writing this and like i, I absolutely loved it and i thought it was you know uh pretty similar to xyz other books that i've loved um which happened to be books that i loved uh so that was my first like okay like it's not all just getting kicked Posed in repeatedly. The, yeah, it's not all just getting kicked in the nuts. You know, there are people who apparently go out of their way to be nice and, and find books, even if it's not shoved in their face. And so that was a, a huge high point. The last one from this year was getting this royalty statement and seeing about double the number I expected on that statement. And that kind of breathed new life into me in terms of science fiction and fantasy writing and my, and my career in general, because to be honest with you, uh, you know, I had kind of resigned myself to, well, I'll, I'll get this trilogy out as best I can. But as far as I'm concerned, my SFF career was pretty much dead in the water. You know, I, I've kind of, I'm kind of aiming at diversifying the genres I'm writing in because of that. Uh, but I now, you know, it, and it's not like so much bigger than I dared hope. And it might just be enough to, you know, to get me somewhere with book two and book three and with other mm -hmm. fantasy and science fiction books that I want to write in the future. So mm -hmm. there you go. It, it's not all, not all bad, just mostly. <laughs> 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 Straight off the back of that question, <laughs> we we had basically two different people who were wondering if we felt it's worth worth it to have gone the trad route, and for you specifically, if you'd consider indie or different publisher in future, because I think a lot of people are kind of struggling, like, is it worth it? Are they disillusioned with it? So you feel free to. to well, the, so the one of them was for Scott specifically. Is it something uh, you'd consider? Uh, and just in general, if we both felt it was worth it, which yeah, we've answered on ahead? and off. Yeah, do you want to go ahead? Because mine will be maybe a little bit longer-winded, but I can do <laughs> if you want. Um, I think I don't really have a choice. Uh, I am so not cut out for indie, and I, I, I have this argument to death with indies where they say, oh, but this, oh, but that, and it's like, just please stop. Stop telling, like, the, the worst one is when I was really, really skint and people would tell me, no, no, it just costs, you know, you only have to pay this much for editing and this much for that. And it's like, I, 
then you have to have this awkward conversation where you say, I can't afford even a fraction of that. Um, so indie for me was always kind of inaccessible in terms of time scales when I take so long to write books. I write niche genres, which believe it or not, like writing cross genre does better in trad, I think. And especially if you're doing standalones, uh, you need the marketing push to actually find the audience. Whereas indie doesn't really like cross genre very much. It doesn't seem to do very well. That that was the received wisdom in the groups I was in. So I, I don't think indie is a good choice for me, but I just don't want to do it. It's like, like if your dream is to be a pilot and someone keeps saying to you, how do you feel about being a sailor? And it's like, well, it's not a fucking plane. Like it's different. It's a different yeah. path. And yeah. I don't know. It's just, I know enough about myself to know that I don't function well in that environment. So we talked to Michael and Robin and their keys to success were basically treating trad publishing as if it were self-publishing, but with distribution. Right. And I, yeah. I think that's really smart because you can't necessarily count on getting all the preferential mm -hmm. treatment that, mm -hmm. you know, a relatively few amount of even traditionally published authors get. But at the same time, like they thought it was worth it. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. They thought it was worth it and they were making mm. a shit ton of money before uh, going uh, trap. Yeah. Right. And I similarly, you know, you just look from a from a business perspective, you look at publishing and look at the state of books and the barrier to entry in becoming an author is so low, especially with um, Amazon. Right. And that works for people and that's great. That works for authors, that works for readers. And there are so many really good indie books. And so I, I really hope it's clear that I'm not trying to say that, uh, you know, there's a quality differential there. It's just that there are so many and the things you have to do in indie to gather attention for even a good book are just my nightmare, you know? Like, I just don't want to do that shit. Like, I I don't really... It, it, I, I don't really like posting on social media, even as myself, let alone posting, you know, my own accolades or, or my own book or whatever, my own thoughts and quotes from my book. Like, honestly, if I start posting quotes from my own, especially fiction book, <laughs> send help, because that's just not me, you know? Like, um... <laughs> And Amazon uh, makes and, it so hard. Uh, yeah, and may, yeah. Maybe I'll get there someday. Yeah, maybe I'll 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 acclimate myself to to more self promo. But it, it just it just is uncomfortable for me. Uh, and and like you said, just I mean, yeah. The 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 what it takes to succeed there is not only some expenditure, a, t a shit ton of time promoting yourself. And that's the thing. I don't mind promoting something I've done. I don't even remind. I, I don't even mm -hmm. mind promoting like my book, and and I should do a lot more of that. But I hate promoting myself, and it just feels weird. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it takes a. It takes even more luck in indie than it does in uh, trad these days, right? So like, yeah. it's not like it's not like us uh, talking about the the bad things honestly in trad publishing is an endorsement of of indie even though i think hybrid is the way to go right like yeah i think the smartest people in the the business are doing some version of hybrid smartest one obviously is sanderson because he made like 42 million uh <laughs> kickstart kickstarting his own his own books but like the sullivans who we've got uh, an episode releasing with here soon etc 
they're doing a great job, right? And the ones that that I don't want to say luck into, but luck into uh, finding a a following in indie, that that's great. And if you can find that that on your own, awesome. If you feel confident in that, go for it. There's no reason to to bother with trad if you feel like you can sell your book to a certain audience yourself and you're ultra confident in that. But uh, you know there are so many distribution channels and sales channels that are currently controlled by trad publishing whether it's via investment whether it's via relationships or street cred because street cred still does exist right like most people uh well a lot of people (laughs) read kindle unlimited and and indie published stuff all the time but a lot of people still wander into bookshops buy their books there they still pay attention to publisher uh, newsletters etc so yeah, long story short, I would still do trad. Uh, I just wish I had been smarter about it is basically the point of this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even when a publisher does minimum, their minimum is in some ways more than you'd think because it's so baked in. You know, the distribution's yeah. baked in. The fact yep. that like the fact that your tours season this this season's fantasy hardback will be enough for some people to have just bought it on that. Yep. So it is a whole thing, and you know you can argue that they should try harder in certain things, but I'm going to yep. cut that bit because it made no sense. But yeah, it's, it's, it's... there is a baseline um, good that comes from publishing trad, especially big five trad. Yeah. Even if you you know if your expectations are not met. Um, and in terms of what you can do for yourself, I think I will leave that to the, the various episodes where we're talking to like three different publicity people because I think. Yeah. To be honest, I don't know. Like, if I knew, I would have done it. <laughs> yeah. Like, there were things I tried to do. I tried to engage with people one on one, but fundamentally, I really found social media hard. I I couldn't hack it on TikTok. I had to leave. I keep my distance on Instagram. I'm very. I have everything publishing related muted on Twitter. Like, I can't hack social media. So don't ask me what you do on social media to promote yourselves because I don't know. Um, but we there are people who do and there are things that work so we'll we'll talk to them eventually someone asked a question about how how basically does commerciality affect your your books and contracts you've talked you've talked about um the this theory of having a book that's high concept right do you want to do you want to talk about that or do you want me to give the uh bastardized version uh Ooh, in what sense? Can you specify? So, uh, well, uh, that's really funny because I had to ask you because you had talked about a book being high concept. And I was like, oh, what the right. hell is that? Okay. Yeah. High concept is a term which originated from film. And okay. it means the opposite of what it sounds. But basically, high concept means that a high number of people can understand it. And it's it's a cool idea that can be summarized in a sentence, basically. So uh, the classic example I would give is that Hunger Games is high concept because you would say uh, it's children fighting for food in a dystopian world. I'm sorry, I've not read the book. I'm just ha- trying to remember. Uh, whereas Old Man of the Sea is not high concept because it's it's about an old man going fishing and nobody likes him and he's by himself. And literally the book relies on execution because the concept's not... Mm. <laughs> you, you wouldn't yeah, pitch that it, to someone yeah. <laughs> yeah 
in practice, uh, the way my brain interprets it, at least, is a good high concept book or story, whatever, is really easy to write a good elevator pitch for, right? Yeah. So, like, book eaters, not only is that a, a good high concept, but, like, you can get the gist of your world in, in just the title, right? Book eaters, you know what the book's about. I did not realize, you know, the extent to which modern publishing depends on having something like that to push a book. Uh, and I believe that's why we see so many retellings being picked up or so many books being sold as retellings, even if they're not actually a retelling. Mm. Um, because in today's you know environment of publishers basically only knowing how to send out a pamphlet and a book to booksellers and post some grabby shit online trope lists yeah yep trope lists you know uh, i think and i think there was a question on on the list of of stuff we were meaning to get to later of like what would you do different and this is a big one i i wouldn't write my book differently because my book is a an exploration of love between siblings and very tech heavy on purpose for better or worse it has some things that meant a lot to me and and i wrote this the book and the story that i wanted to to write and that's that but i would have been more involved and pushed much harder to get the you know the cover copy the the online copy down to a much better high concept ish um elevator pitch and maybe i should still push for that and, and see if i can edit what's online but um yeah anyway i've been thinking a lot about that because i i do think that that theory holds weight holds water has weight it, it does yeah and i think I know I get sort of accused, I'm sort of known for being a little bit obsessed with query letters, but I did really find that studying query letters taught me how publishers look at books. And when I cracked query letters, you you know when you get those montage scenes in action films where the the person learning a martial art or something has to do something that seems really stupid and then at the end of it, it it unlocks the skill for them. Like in Mulan where her instructor's like, go climb that pillar with weights attached to your arms. And she's like, what the fuck? Uh, But then when she finally is able to do it, she becomes like a really pro soldier. And that's what query letters were for me. When I finally, they seem like they're unrelated to publishing. And when I finally cracked them, I was like, this is the key that shows me how publishing sees novels, how it breaks them down into tropes, into sellable portions, into consumable products. Uh, And once you see it, it's kind of like the matrix, you know, all you can see is numbers everywhere, which is is kind of bad. Uh, yeah. Oh, I was going to briefly mention auctions because someone asked about auctions. Mm. I don't oh, know if yeah, that, that's, that's worth a, going into. That's in the forbidden episode, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I can talk a little bit about the harbor side, but in, in broad terms, auc- there, there's different kinds of auctions. Your agent will talk you through what's best. And generally they go from like, it's all about controlling the information. So like the first round of, I had an auction on the UK side, the first round that the pub, my agent was like, didn't tell the publishers involved who had bid what. And then the second round, the publishers got to know what the others had bid so they could see if they could change it. And there's different, it, it really varies depending what you're doing, but we'll talk about that more with Nick Binge, I think, because like everything about his books went to auction, the film rights, the books themselves, blah, blah, blah wonder what that's like huh (laughs) 
Oh, I think he had quite a long road, but yeah. We can no, hate I'm him not, a little bit. We'll, we'll hate, love him. It's fine. He's a nice guy. He's, he's, I don't, I don't I'm going to cut this. Hate, hate the game. <laughs> yes. Don't hate the um, player. Hate the game. Yeah. No, no. He, he'll talk about that more. I'm probably going to cut all this because this is waffle, actually. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, no worries. Um, yeah, so small presses, we're going to speak to Nadia Fifi in a couple of weeks about that. But the, the short version is... I personally would self-pub over a small press just because I have so many friends who have signed a small presses that were well-meaning, but but basically most a lot of small presses fold or there are a lot of considerations or they don't have distribution of the things that I want from a publisher. Yeah. Um, for me, if a publisher doesn't have distribution, I'm not interested. Yep. But that equation is different for every person. If you publish poetry, you're with a small press or you're self-pubbing and that's it. So... Oh, this is getting so rambly. I've had too much rum or something. No, you're fine. So <laughs> yeah, the other I'm, I'm just looking through the questions now. The other questions that maybe we didn't uh, hit are like, uh, oh, agent. Yeah, we can talk about that later. Uh, what are you writing? Uh, or are the two of you writing your next novels under contract and what that's like? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, that probably is a personal question. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. If, if you want to talk about it, where's that too. gone? Yeah, yeah so we're trying to stick to the, the more the more personal questions, I guess, um, rather than the general ones, which we can inflict on other people. <laughs> so one one person has written in to ask what if if we're writing our next novels under contract and how we find that process, and if having a contract has changed our approach to the process. Uh, yes, <laughs> it is the short answer for me. I. It, I mean, this feeds into another question someone else asked, what, what if you have a multi-book deal and, and the publisher don't like the second book? And, and the answer to that is, Houston, we have a problem. <laughs> all, all of these things depend on your relationship with your editor, your agent, what they don't like, how bad it is. You know, is it they don't like your book because it's too gay or something, right? And then that's like, that's a big problem, isn't it? Or is it they don't like your book because the pacing's slow? That's maybe less of a problem. Um, I turned in a bunch of ideas for my book too, which is my second standalone on contract with Tor. My editors were not keen for a variety of reasons. They wanted something that was standalone, but different to book eaters, but not too different, but also similar to book eaters, but not too similar and cross genre, but not a, actually a different genre and commercial, but not too, you know, it's like, right. So it's just like a mess of things and it was doing my head in. And the, the short version of that is I spent over a year drafting outlines and sending them to my editor saying, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? That process will not work for everyone. I was happy to do that because I found it an interesting challenge and I understand the concept of building brand and why it mattered. But I was struggling with the pressure and what my editors wanted or thought they wanted, what the publisher wanted or thought they wanted. Well, that goes that goes back in a big yeah. way to trusting your editor, right? And having a really yeah. good relationship with your editor and knowing that hey this person has a really good track record and they've steered me right before right yeah yep yeah and basically you know she was saying i want you to write something completely new that you've not thought of before completely different from things you've tried before and really push yourself and that was really difficult but we did eventually settle on idea and you know she's seen at least one draft and 
that idea is cement in stone. So it did work in the end. But yeah, it was it was different and it was difficult. Second book syndrome was very much a thing. You are so aware of commercial pressure. Um, you're so aware of the specter of, of living up to your own sales. Basically, everyone's telling you, write a book that is going to be a bestseller when you don't even know if your first one will be a bestseller yet. Like, does that sound horrible to say? <laughs> no, not at all. And, and I mean, that is a very real pressure, right? Like, First world problems, but yeah, it, it, was a, it was a thing. I wouldn't complain about it, but if someone's asking, it's like, what was like? Well, that's what it was like. I don't recommend it, but you know, it was better than not writing. So it's not yeah. like I, I was definitely grateful, but you know, go for, go for your answer. Feel free. Yeah, no. you are taking really long. Sorry. <laughs> no, you're, you're totally fine. And for the record, I sympathize because you do have a lot of pressure on you. Doubly so because you're on a big contract. You have high expectations from your editor. Um, and because you're on a contract of standalones, so it's not like yeah. you just get to continue the story you already built. You're having to come up with an entirely new story, uh, new book, everything's different, right? And mm. still hit on that same level. And look at, not to psych you out, but look at even like the biggest authors. Very often they have one series or even one book that does mm. extremely well and then you know that's not a guarantee that the other ones do i mean and there are authors out there like the chris and hannah's and whoever else that write just bestseller after bestseller and they're not necessarily uh related and and whatever else um the bernard cornwells uh of the world but i will say this having read your book that you just turned in and i know it's changing significantly in edits but god it's so good and people are gonna love it thanks um yeah for me i mean it's a very different situation and in fact it's probably the exact opposite of that right so my expectations and my own hopes and dreams went from sky high to about as low uh, close to zero as you can get right with how launch yeah. went and what i thought my sales were etc and even still like six thousand books moved is great but it's still not moving any needles in my life right so for me i already had book two written thank god and i've just been going back and forth with edits and this is in between a whole bunch of life stuff like moving across the country and you know other stuff i have going on in my life i'm a full-time dad and got a lot of stuff a homeschool dad and have a lot of other stuff going on yeah so i i'm writing book two i guess now editing and finishing edits on book two under contract I love it. It's a continuation of, of the same series. So it's a direct continuation of Rise of the Mages. And it goes into, well, where Rise of the Mages was very focused on a short time frame, almost a, an action-adventure thriller in a fantasy setting, right? Book two is much more of a conquest story. So for anybody that knows and, and enjoys Bernard Cornwell, which I'm not sure there's a lot of overlap between fantasy and, and Bernard Cornwell, but it's the Last Kingdom series, if you've seen the Netflix show, which is fantastic, by the way. Uh, but the books are still better, even though the show's great. It, it, it's very much in the style of that because it, it's, okay. you know, morphed into a conquest story. So I absolutely love it. But yeah, uh, I mean, overall, I'm I'm writing with less pressure, fewer expectations than ever. I'm just going to write the book that I want to see even more than I did with book one, right? Uh, because I think I acquiesced to more things than I mm -hmm. would now with, with book one. 
and we'll see how it goes. I don't know. I'm I'm hoping it'll be out sooner uh, sooner rather than later, though. Yeah, that's totally fair. Um, so I got temporarily distracted because because I'd signed up our podcast for like a possible advertisement and I had this ping from like a talking Jesus doll. <laughs> <laughs> Extremely on brand for us. <laughs> And I was like, uh, okay. Well, so, I'll, then, I'll mention. Came up. <laughs> are we going to keep this? Should I mention a thing I actually want to be on the pod? I want to keep this, by the way, this whole thing. Okay. Um, okay. That, that is hilarious, and I think we should accept. Because I, I am, and I've been pretty open with this, but I'm an ex-Mormon, grew up very Mormon. Uh, when I was 19, my family shipped me off to uh, Brazil for two years to baptize other people into Mormonism. And, uh, you know, I married... Just like the musical. Yeah, <laughs> I've heard. I haven't even seen the musical because I don't... Yeah. yeah, I've heard it's great, but, like, at the same time, I'm I, even if it's fantastic and funny, I would probably just be filled with rage the whole time. But anyway, my wife and I completely left mormonism which is a big no-no in mormonism and i'm now very i i'd call it agnostic but i'm pretty vocal yeah. about not being on board with mormonism in particular but christianity generally not my thing either uh so i absolutely think we should accept a uh jesus doll <laughs> as our sponsor um but that leads that leads into uh, the other thing I'm working on and planning to work on in the in the near yeah. future, besides book two and then book three, being that writing is the only thing I've I've taken on uh, other than being a, a homeschool dad, which is that you know that Mormonism uh, book, the the I don't know what you'd call it, but a, a historical narrative of the real founding mm -hmm. of Mormonism, because the real story is out there, but it's spread between maybe even hundreds of different sources. Mm -hmm. on what the founding of Mormonism actually looked like versus the very sanitized fictional version that the Mormon church puts out to their their people. So that's my my other project that will be upcoming and I have no plans haven't sold it. Yeah, I'm I'm all tied up with with Tor and I have novels lined up for them and a novella I want to put out but I I guess I don't know. Everyone tells you to get multiple income streams with publishing that's a lot easier to do if you are able to luck into a lead title position because because stuff crops up um yeah oh, i can't i can't talk about any of that but like foreign rights and film rights become a thing yeah and Ooh, translations yeah. and all that stuff yeah yep. sorry yeah. Nick, nick will be able to tell you about all his foreign rights that went to auction and um we'll stare at him in stony silence <laughs> <laughs> i'll just let you talk to him while i weep in the background <laughs> 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 okay uh is that it do we want to call it at two hours this time yeah we'll, we'll call it yeah sorry it okay. took so long oh, like 20 minutes of that was me putting my son to bed i mean what are you what are you apologizing for this is both of us and this is fantastic yeah it'll cut down i'm sure uh where's it gone stop You've been listening to the Publishing Radio Podcast with Sunny Dean and Scott Drakeford. Tune in next time for more in-depth discussion on everything publishing industry. See you later.